This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. to ER Vet on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Justine Lee. Thanks for joining us today. I'm an emergency critical care veterinary specialist and toxicologist, and I'm really excited to have Dr. Jane Quant, who's a board-certified anesthesiologist and criticalist on today's show of ER Vet. Today, we're going to be talking about anesthesia and what you do have to worry about or not worry about when it comes to anesthetizing or sedating your pet at the veterinarian. We'll be right back after these messages. Does your dog itch, scratch, stink, or shed like crazy? Come to Dynavite for help. Order a 90-day supply of Dynavite. Dynavite for life. Pick up two tubes of Dogosuds. Get the third tube free. Peppermint, tea tree, lavender, Dogosud shampoo. Made with all-natural coconut, jojoba, aloe. Great for healthy skin and soft, shiny coats. But no itchy, harsh chemicals. Lather up. Rinse away. Try Dogosuds. Buy two, get one free. At Dynavite.com. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. to ER Vet on Pet Life Radio. Dr. Quant, thank you so much for joining us today. It's my pleasure to be here. So I understand that you are not only a veterinarian, but you're also board certified in anesthesia and emergency critical care, and you're a full professor at University of Georgia College of Veterinary Medicine. Can you tell me what all those extra letters behind your name mean? Yes, it means that I went to veterinary college to get a doctor in veterinary medicine I decided I enjoyed anesthesia and wanted to specialize in anesthesia. So I went through three more years of education after veterinary school, and I had to pass a rigorous exam to become boarded, which means I'm a specialist in anesthesia and have had extra training in that area. I subsequently decided I wanted to become a specialist in critical care as well to really provide extra anesthesia support and care to the critically ill patient. That took me another five years of extra training and another rigorous exam in order to get those extra letters behind my name. At UGA, I am an anesthesiologist. I anesthetize all species, large, small, and exotics, and provide support and care before, during, and after the anesthetic episode so the patient has the best chance of having a successful outcome. Thank you so much for that introduction. Now, I will say most people are really nervous and intimidated about sedating their dog or cat or having their dog or cat go under anesthesia. And this probably stems from hearing or watching TV shows where people are anesthetized. First of all, do you mind just explaining what the difference is between sedation versus full general anesthesia? Sedation usually requires a IM or even IV injection. So that means either injecting into the muscle or into the blood vessel in order to provide some calming 
and sedation to the animal. It's hard to tell an animal to lay still so we can take a nice radiograph or x-ray. Humans you can talk to. Animals, you can't say lay still for your x-ray. And it can be very stressful for them to be held down and what they feel like is being pinned and trapped. So this sedation calms them, makes them easier to handle, makes it safer for them and the people handling them so no one gets bitten. And the animal can lay comfortably while the radiograph, i.e. x-ray, is taken. And we need them to be in a calm state in order to get the best diagnostics. So in the long run, it's safer to sedate your animal than to have to wrestle him and try to hold him down and make him even more scared. Sedation means they are just mildly sedate in that they're awake, they can still respond, they're just calm and quiet, they don't really care as much as to what you're doing with them. Some of the sedatives are actually able to be reversed, so the effect goes away and the animal can wake up and then go home relatively quickly after the procedure. General anesthesia implies that they are unconscious and can feel no pain and therefore is something that we would do if we had to actually do surgery on the animal. It usually implies that they will be anesthetized with an inhalant, an anesthetic that's provided in a special machine. They actually have a tube that goes down their windpipe in order to put that into their lungs. It's like you would see on a hospital show with a human being hooked up with a tube coming out their mouth. We anesthetize our animals relatively the same way that people are anesthetized. And it's pretty much required if we want to do extensive surgery, such as your dog has a broken leg and now needs a pin put in his plate. Or your dog ate the baby's pacifier, now it's stuck in his stomach and he needs surgery to get it removed. You couldn't do that safely without general anesthesia. So in the emergency room or at the ER vet, I oftentimes am sedating patients at least six to eight times a day. And it's exactly what you said, because I just need something to take the edge off, to help with x-rays, to help minimize the stress to your dog or cat, and to help with handling. When we anesthetize, that's less frequent, but that's usually for major procedures. Do you mind just explaining the potential side effects or rare, rare complications that can occur with either sedation or anesthesia? I think if you have the potential for your dog to require sedation, if you know that beforehand, really the best thing is not to feed the dog breakfast or even the cat breakfast that morning. Because if they have a full stomach, some of times they will vomit, and we don't want that to go back into their lungs. So it's really a requirement that the dog or cat not have a full stomach. Now, granted, if it's an emergency, you can't always prepare for that. So that's one of our concerns is that they would vomit and then inhale that into their lungs. The other thing is if they are already ill or debilitated, then that may affect how the drugs react in them. So there's always that, oh, you know, you've heard those stories, my dog died under anesthesia. Well, we don't really know without more information. Did he have heart disease? Did he have some sort of electrolyte, which means his blood work wasn't normal? Did he need some sort of correction prior to that? There's always this rare instance that they have a reaction to the anesthetics and they can die. But that's extremely rare, especially now. We have more precise monitoring. If a veterinarian suggests that you do some radiographs or some blood work prior to anesthetizing your patient, I would recommend you do those because those can help tune us into potential problems that we could correct prior to the anesthesia or sedation of your patient. 
Now, I oftentimes will have breeds of dogs that come in where the owner will say, oh, my dog or my cat can't get this kind of anesthesia or this kind of sedative because of X, Y, and Z. Do you mind just talking about, is this actually legit? Are there true concerns with certain breeds that we have to be aware of? And if so, what breeds are there and what drugs can they not get? There is some evidence to show some breeds may have a genetic predisposition. For example, merle-coated Australian shepherds don't handle opioids the same. They have a genetic defect in that sense. So there can be some truth to that. Dogs that are called sight hounds, like greyhounds, borzois, whippets, they don't handle barbiturates very well. So there is some truth to that, yes. So if an owner has a request not to use a specific drug, I make every effort to try to use other drugs or potentially their animal had a bad reaction and they would rather we not use that drug again. So it is possible. I do like to have a little bit of information from the owner, like what did they see, like did it just take a long time for the animal to wake up, which is typically what occurs with an animal that has a reaction to a drug like the merle-coated dogs or the greyhounds, they just take longer to process those drugs and therefore they sleep longer. So if an owner can give me some specific information, that will help me dictate, okay, I won't use this drug or I'll use a different dose. So there can be some truth to owners saying their dog may be sensitive. So cats aren't quite as well worked up. There are certain people that will say, you know, my exotic breed doesn't handle a drug called ketamine well. I have not seen any specific literature on that, but we have newer agents. So if we can, we avoid the use of that if the owner asks for, you know, certain drugs to not be used. But I just don't think the research is quite as in-depth as it is with dogs. I will say there are certain cat breeds like the Persians who have smaller airways. So that's not so much a drug effect, it's just the management of that particular animal and how they breed. Great information. We'll continue with this really important topic right after these messages from our sponsors. You've heard the saying, music soothes a savage beast, right? Well, it's true. If your fur baby is experiencing symptoms of stress and anxiety, such as dogs cowering in fear from fireworks or loud noises, destroying clothing or furniture, excessive barking or separation anxiety, then you want to check out Whole Tones. Whole Tones is a solution where you get a home speaker that you just plug in and it's preloaded with over 50 minutes of specially composed original music. The Whole Tones solution provides total peace for your pet without any potential side effects of drugs and tranquilizers. Provide music to your pet while you're away at work. It's safe, effective, and guaranteed to work or your money back. Visit WholeTonesForPets.com and use promo code VET, that's V-E-T, to receive $10 off. That's WholeTonesForPets.com and promo code VET. Let's Talk Pets. Let's Talk Pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. <laughs> Oh, 
Welcome back to ER Vet on Pet Life Radio. Today, we have a guest, Dr. Jane Quant, who is a double board certified anesthesiologist and criticalist. She is one of the few double board specialists in both these areas in the world. And we've been talking about the rare, rare risks that we see with sedation or with anesthesia when we have to anesthetize in our veterinary patients. Now, we've talked about how in the emergency room, we oftentimes will have to sedate. In other words, give your dog or your cat some drugs to help with a small wound or to help with taking x-rays and to help relieve that anxiety. We've also talked about when sometimes we have to do surgery. So going through a spay or undergoing an emergency intestinal surgery that requires general anesthesia where we actually insert a sterile tube into the trachea and may breathe for your dog or cat under anesthesia. We talked about some rare, rare breeds that may have potential risks with certain types of drugs. What I wanted to talk about now is, is there anything we can give at home or with recommendations from our veterinarian before our anxious dog or cat comes into the vet or the ER vet? Is there anything orally or injectable um, that we can potentially give that might help? So there are certainly some newer agents that have been used to help make the animal calm. Now, these are animals that just have kind of a fear of going to the veterinarians. A commonly used one is called trazodone. It's an anti-anxiety medication. It's been used quite frequently in dogs, has also been used in cats. And I would recommend potentially trying it in the animal well before you need to go to the veterinarians maybe give them a dose in conjunction with what your veterinarian recommends. Maybe do a little trial drive around your neighborhood and then back home. Try not to make the first time you used it when you go to the veterinarian, if possible, just to see what kind of effect it will have on your animal. Another one that's commonly used in cats is called gabapentin. It can take that little cat that suddenly becomes a little demon cat and take the edge off them, make it easier to handle. Again, consult with your veterinarian as to the appropriate dose based on the age and the physical status of your particular pet. But these drugs can help relieve the anxiety so it's not so stressful for them to actually present to the veterinarian. And another drug that's been used is an older drug that's also been used to take the edge off their patients called acepromazine. That too can be used. The newer drugs, trazodone and gabapentin, are probably more more commonly used, but acepromazine has also been used. They're all given orally, so that does require a little bit of practice on the owner's part to either get it into the animal or put it in a small, some kind of a food product, because we know most dogs will swallow a nice little piece of hamburger whole and you can hide the pill in that. So that would be the only requirement with an oral drug is that the owner actually has to be able to get it into the animal. I would also recommend that when you give these oral agents, you have to give it at least two hours for it to get digested and into the bloodstream. You can't give it and then, oh, I'm going to go to the veterinarian in five minutes because we will not have had sufficient time for an onset of action. All right. So great information. When in doubt, I always say don't give anything over the counter without consulting your veterinarian or your emergency vet or the ASPCA Animal Poison Control Center because some of those can be poisonous. But if you know your dog or cat get anxious or reactive when they go to the vet or before they go on a car ride or before 
fireworks happen or before relatives are going to come over for a major holiday, always check in with your veterinarian to see if there's medications we can give safely at home. And again, most of these are prescription medications that you have to get from your vet, but that can also help alleviate a lot of the stress of going to the vet. Remember, your indoor cat still needs to go to your vet every single year. And you may think because you're indoors or protected, but we veterinarians can pick up on earlier symptoms, physical examination findings. And as you guys have heard me say before on ER Vet, the sooner we diagnose a problem, the sooner we can treat it. And by talking to your veterinarian about different oral sedative medications, that can really help with the transport of bringing your dog or cat to the veterinarian. All right, Dr. Quant, one other question that I had, if you're about to go into the ER vet and you don't know if your dog or cat is going to need emergency surgery or emergency sedation, what are some general tips? Like, should we not feed our dog before we go in? Or what if we have a diabetic patient who's undergoing anesthesia for a dental procedure? What do we do with the insulin? And when do we feed our pets? Like, do we have to fast our pets? In other words, not give them any food for days before they go into the vet for anesthesia? So if we are coming in for a simple procedure, potentially a spay or a neuter, I just recommend you don't feed them breakfast that morning. They had their meal last night, their dinner at six or whatever. Water can be left out, but just don't feed them that morning. Now, if they're coming in for something simple like routine vaccinations, then they can eat. Unless, of course, they are the kind that get car sick, then you may want to hold off on feeding. If they're a diabetic and you know they're going to be anesthetized, we recommend that let them eat the night before. They get half of their insulin dose that morning, but they should be fasted prior to going in. Most veterinarians in consulting with them, if you have a diabetic patient, they want to do that procedure, whether it's a dental, a spay, first thing in the morning. So then they have all day to observe and watch the patient so they have a safe recovery and then they potentially can be sent home that evening. Now realize if your patient is a diabetic, it may take three or four days before they're back to their normal feeding schedule and you would go back to your normal insulin schedule. If they've had a dental, for example, which we see a lot of diabetic cats for dentals, they get fasted in the morning, they get half their insulin dose, we do their dental that morning, we check a glucose level when they're anesthetized, and then if they are low on blood sugar, we give them some IV dextrose. If they're too high on their blood sugar, we would maybe even give them some insulin. So we monitor them closely. Once they're recovered, we want to make sure they're well awake, they're swallowing. Then we would start with a little meal, check their glucose again, and then decide, can we get them back on their normal insulin schedule, presuming that they are getting insulin twice a day. And then depending on how well they eat at home, do they get a normal dose or only part of the dose? Because we do not want to get their glucose either too high or too low, depending on how they are eating. This requires some consultation with your veterinarian to try and manage them to get back on their normal feeding and insulin schedule. What about additional medications? So say my dog is on chronic pain medications like non-steroidal anti-inflammatories and allergy medications. Should we skip giving those medications the day of anesthesia? Again, I always consult with your veterinarian. So animals that are used to being on medication with the exception of insulin because the animal is fasted, normally we would like them to get that medication to help maintain their normal body homeostasis. So for example, 
If your dog were hypothyroid and he's used to getting thyroid medication, he should get that. If he's something like an Addisonian and he usually gets prednisone, he should get that. They should maintain our heart disease. He should get his medication. The only exception would be if they are on heart medication called enalapril. We usually hold off on that one drug because it can enhance a low blood pressure under anesthesia. Other medications they should get to help maintain their normal body function and because they're used to getting those medications. If you have any questions, you should always consult with your veterinarian. But typically, we always give what they're used to getting. Thank you so much, Dr. Quant. One last question. I will say as an emergency critical care specialist and a toxicologist, I use a lot of this injectable drug called meropotent. It's often called Serenia by its trade name. And in full disclosure, this is not sponsored by the makers of that company. But I did want to bring this up and say, oftentimes I will give an injection of this really strong anti-vomiting medication before I anesthetize a dog or a cat before surgery, especially of the abdomen, like if I'm going into the stomach or going to the intestinal tract. Does it help before surgery or should dogs and cats potentially be going home with this medication? What does the evidence show in veterinary publications? So we use Serenia, i.e. meropotent, every day. We really like it on dogs that we worry might have the potential for vomiting. Bulldogs, any dog that has kind of a squished face definitely needs it. Abdominal surgery also needs it. It is a strong anti-emetic. It also shows that it can cause less nausea in the recovery period. So these dogs actually feel better when they wake up. So we definitely give it before anesthesia and it has a long effect. So you only have to give it once and it'll last for the whole day. So it's very good. We use it on all of our patients that are we are worried about potential vomiting. We use it on cats as well. So yes, it certainly could be a medication that they can get if they go home. Typically, our patients, depending on their level of need, are in the hospital for two or three days, and they might get another injection the next day following to make sure it's a you know, on a 24-hour cycle. So I do feel this drug has a very strong advocate for its use because I know I wouldn't want to feel nauseated when I woke up after surgery. So I do think it's worth using in both dogs and cats. Wonderful. I will say I definitely became a lot more empathetic to how horrible nausea is during the first trimester of my pregnancy. Nausea sucks. So I think we underestimate dogs and cats feeling nauseous and it has to be pretty severe before they'll start drooling or vomiting from it. Dr. Kwan, thank you so much for some fantastic information. Again, we anesthetize or sedate patients every single day in veterinary medicine, whether or not it's at your family veterinarian or through the ER vet. And the most important thing to keep in mind is that it is safe. It is something that we do all the time. There are rare, rare complications, but hopefully having Dr. Quant on today will rest you assured when it comes to anesthetizing your dog and cat. Dr. Quant, thank you so much for joining us today. It was my pleasure. Thank you. Well, that brings us to the end of today's show. Find me at drjustinelee.com, on Facebook at Dr. Justine Lee, or email me your pet questions at drjustine at petliferadio.com. With that, we're out of time, and we want to thank Dr. Quant and Mark Winter, our producer, for making this show possible. See you at the next episode. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.